0: hey good morning my name's gary if we haven't had a chance to meet yet i'm one of the pastors here really glad you're here with us on this long weekend august long weekend hard to believe uh today we're kicking off a brand new series called faves with an f i had a conversation with somebody last week and they misunderstood it they thought thought i said babes (laughs) who knew failure um we're Over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to have a few people from the meeting place share one of their favorite things from the Bible, a verse or a passage. And today I get to kick it off sharing a verse that has brought me so much encouragement over the years. And my hope is that by the end of today, uh, we'll do the same for you. Uh, interesting, as I was, that video was playing, I was listening to all the laughter. Isn't it funny how we tend to laugh at the failures <laughs> of other people. Uh, Entire programs like the one on that video, America's Funniest Home videos, are based on watching people try something and fail. Books and blogs are written about people's failure. Uh, Like this guy named Arthur Pedrick. I don't know if you've heard of him before. British inventor who was really the epitome of failure. He patented 162 inventions Not one of them ever came to fruition. Not one. Uh, Like this patent, Great Britain patent number 112630, which was for a golf ball. I got really excited when I started reading this. Designed to prevent slicing or hooking or topspin. And so what he did is he he designed this golf ball on paper anyway. Uh, It would be equipped with tiny flaps. And when the ball was mishit, the flaps would deploy themselves and kind of straighten the ball flight out gets better. He also designed the inside of the ball to reflect radio waves. So the golfer would carry this homing device. So if you did hit it into the bush or into the rough, it was easy to find your ball. Now, I go to our Wednesday night TMP golf nights at Winchelsea View. There is a need for this. And I'll be honest, I'd be the first in line. I'd probably buy out the stores so no one else could ever get one. Uh, we There's something about us that just likes enjoys watching or looking at people's failures kind of like this guy's attempt at hiding a package underneath a doormat (laughs) or this attempt at being sly with your security (laughs) or how about this one this is like a double fail i'm not sure you know (laughs) that's just failure on a whole bunch of levels but it's, you know what? As easy it is to laugh at stuff like that. The truth is, failures most failures aren't funny. Failures are painful. They're wounding. And they leave scars that throb with pain. You know, failed marriages, financial failure, career failure, getting fired from a job, failing a course or out of school. And here's the thing, when we fail, our first and most powerful impulse is to hide it so that nobody will know. Remember the day I went to get my driver's license. Back when I got my driver's license, you didn't have this graduated licensing, you could basically write your L one week and go for your test the next. And that's what I did. And I remember the day I went to get it. Pulling out of the driveway, I was driving there to get some last minute practice in. My mom was in the passenger seat beside me, and all my buddies were on the front lawn just cheering me on, like, oh, yeah, yeah, awesome. And off I went, and we get to driver services, and I check in, and I waited for what seemed like hours, which was probably only, you know, for a 16 year old's brain, was probably just a few minutes. But finally, it was my turn. And so I went out to the parking lot with the driver's exam dude, and hopped in the car, and before we even got out of the parking lot, he said, stop, you fail. Didn't even make it out of the parking lot. I remember sitting in the passenger seat on the way home, my mom driving, and I was just staring out the window because I could not bring myself, I was too embarrassed to even look her in the, look her in the eye. And as we approached home, I just slouched down because I didn't want my buddies to see me. I was, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but I just, I I didn't want them to see me. And when the car, you know, my mom hadn't even parked and I had the door open, I was out the door and I ran to my room and I closed the door and I hid. Too embarrassed, too ashamed to face my buddies. You know, failure is hard. And it can leave us wanting to isolate, isolate ourselves from others, you know, our family, our friends. In some cases even God, because failure convinces us that we've blown it. There's no going back. There's no second chances. And this morning, I'd like to share a story from the Bible about this guy named Peter who knew all about failure. Uh, If you're not familiar with his background, Peter was one of the most trusted, loyal followers of Jesus Christ when Jesus was on the earth He had been personally invited by Jesus to follow him, and he left everything to do just that, and he spent the next three years with a front row seat, listening and learning from Jesus as he healed people, taught people, watching all these miracles that he pulled off. Peter was also one of the first to become aware that Jesus was not just a man when he made the bold declaration that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. To which Jesus replied, you know what, Peter, you're right. That's exactly who I am. But on the last night that Jesus would ever spend with Peter and his other friends, he, he pulled him aside and he had a very honest conversation with him. And he, he said, Peter, tonight I'm going to be betrayed. And I'm going to be turned over to the authorities. And when all that's happening, I just I, this is going to be hard for you to hear but you and all your friends are going to desert me. And Peter, like any one of us probably would have done had we been in his shoes, looked Jesus in the eye and said, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. So imagine Peter surprised when Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you ever knew me. Understandably, Peter was stunned. And we kind of get a glimpse of how he probably resolved deeper in his heart that he would never, ever turn away from Jesus. Almost like that deal you make with yourself. I'm going to prove you wrong. And he shoots back. We get evidence of that. When he shoots back, he says, no, no. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. I won't let you down. I won't fail you then things begin to roll out just as Jesus said they would. He was betrayed and he was arrested by the authorities in a park. Peter's so upset when all this is happening that he puts up a big fight and he, he whips out a weapon and goes to hit one of the guys that's taking Jesus into custody and he slices his ear off. A little over the top, admittedly. But Peter is showing his resolve to do everything he could to stand up for Jesus. Fast forward a few hours. Jesus has been arrested. He's inside the courtyard of the head religious official. And he's being interrogated by all these other religious leaders. And that's when this happens. While all this was going on, Peter was down in the courtyard One of the chief priest's servant girls came in and seeing Peter warming himself there, looked hard at him and said, You are with the Nazarene, Jesus. He denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. He went out in the porch. A rooster crowed. The girl spotted him and began telling the people standing around, He's one of them. And he denied it again. And after a little while, the bystanders brought it up again. You've got to be one of them. You've got Galilean written all over you. And that's the place that he was from, from Galilee. And now Peter, it says, got really nervous and swore, I never laid eyes on the man you're talking about. Just then, the rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered how Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. He collapsed in tears. I can't even begin to imagine a more total and complete failure than that. It wasn't just a moral failure, this was a complete personal, spiritual breakdown. Everything Peter had built his life around for the last three years, all his beliefs, you know, saying, I'll never fail you. Everything he had used to define himself, he had abandoned and renounced. I mean, he had been a follower. One of the twelve personally hand-picked by Jesus. And then he walked and he talked and celebrated and laughed with Jesus for three years. And then on a single night, a single night, when the chips were down, he denied even knowing them. And when that rooster crowed, Peter was instantly aware of his failure. He had absolutely blown it, and there was no going back. He had bailed on Jesus, the man he had recognized as the Messiah, the Savior, his teacher, his friend. And then everything else that Jesus had said would happen happened. Jesus was sentenced and crucified and buried in a tomb. And three days later, some women went to the tomb on that very first Easter morning. And when they arrived, they saw that the stone that had been in place of the entrance had been rolled to the side. And so they went inside, and as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified, he's risen, he's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell Peter, go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. Did you catch that little phrase in there? It's easy to miss. He says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter. That, those two words, it's not t- technically a verse, but those two words are so encouraging to me because I have needed second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. And that's what that points to. It points to a God that's full of second, third, and fourth, and fifth chances. I heard it put this way. I think this is beautiful. It says, when Peter had done all that stuff, it says, it says if all of heaven had watched Peter fall... And it's as if all of heaven wanted to help him back up again. Can you imagine how he must have felt watching all those other events unfolding? Knowing that he had failed Jesus like no one else had? And when he first heard that Jesus was alive, I wonder how he felt about the prospect of meeting him face to face after what he'd done. I can't imagine what Peter would have been feeling. I mean, those feelings of excitement that Jesus was really alive. The guilt and the shame of having been such a failure. Daring to hope for a kind word from Jesus even though he had let him down. He must have been thinking, how could there be anything more contemptible than what I've done? According to the Bible, if you keep tracking through Peter's story, Peter did what most of us do when we we fail at something he went back to doing the last thing that seemed to be working for him for peter it was fishing ironically the very thing peter was doing when he first met jesus 3 years earlier after a long night of fishing if you read the story peter hadn't caught much and his crew had just finished cleaning the nets and i used to be a gill netter i know what it's how tedious a job that is it takes forever and the last thing you want to do is put your net back in the water when there's no fish and they had just finished doing that they're looking forward to going home and having a meal catching some sleep when jesus walked up and said catch anything to which peter said no not really and jesus said come on let's go back out and try again Peter started to protest, but then he remembered, oh, there's some, yeah, I heard something about this Jesus guy. He's, he's a prophet or a miracle worker or something. And so they went back out. And when they arrived at the spot that Peter had been fishing the night before, Jesus asked, were you fishing on this side of the boat last night? Peter says, yeah. Jesus says, why don't you put down your nets on this side of the boat? Peter said, sure, okay, if you say so. And he drops his nets. And they caught so many fish, the nets were on the verge of breaking. Peter's first reaction, suddenly aware that he was in the presence of someone that was awesomely powerful and related to God, was to say this, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. While that was true, Jesus did not go away. Instead, he said, Peter, come, follow me. And Peter did. But that was then. This is now. Peter had abandoned Jesus right before he was brutally crucified. And in the disappointment, the shame, and guilt over his failure, he went back to the one thing he knew fishing. And one day while he's fishing, here's what happened. At dawn, the disciples saw Jesus standing on the beach, but they couldn't see who he was. Jesus called out, Friends, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get plenty of fish. So they did, and they couldn't draw in the net because there were so many fish in it. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, uh one of the things they did back then is they fished naked i've worked on a fish boat for like 27 years not once that i fished naked thank goodness um i don't think i would have lasted seven hours let alone 27 years but that's what they did back then so peter he throws puts on his tunic and he jumps in the water banded his buddies and swims to shore the other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore for they were only out about 300 feet When they got there, they saw a charcoal fire was burning and fish were frying over it, and there was bread. Interesting the parallels between the then and the now of meeting Jesus. Peter out fishing, strange guy walks up, gives some odd fishing advice, try fishing on this side of the boat, catches a ton of fish. Could it be that Jesus was showing that there could be a second chance? A second new beginning? I mean, Jesus had already reached out and touched Peter's life once. Peter failed. But could Jesus be doing it again? Giving him another chance? And we'd be remiss to forget the fire. Did you notice that Jesus was standing around a fire... Just like Peter had stood around a fire the night he denied Jesus. Love what happens next. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. It's an interesting question, isn't it? Do you love me? Not, are you sorry for what you have done or didn't do? Not, do you promise to never fail me again? Not, will you try harder next time? But simply, do you love me? When we fail, we might wonder how God might feel about the failure itself. But you know what? I think God is far more concerned with what that failure says about us and about our relationship with Him in the midst of that failure. Do we want to draw near to Him in our failure or withdraw? Do we want to run towards Him with our failure or away from Him? Do we want intimacy with Him or not? Because God wants to forgive us. He wants to restore us. He wants to be close to us. The question is, do we want to be close to him? Peter did. And so when he's asked if he loves Jesus, he answers, yes, Lord, I I do love you. And then Jesus does a strange thing. He asks Peter a second time, And then a third time. I mean, what's up with that? Three times Peter stood around a fire and denied Jesus. Three times Peter asks, Jesus asks Peter, as he's standing around a fire, do you love me? Each time meeting him in his failures with the challenge to not let that failure be the defining moment in his life. And then to squash any doubts Peter may have had floating in his mind, like, could this be true, a second chance? Jesus says the words that he said to Peter at the very beginning of the relationship. Come, follow me. The charcoal fire that had once represented failure to Peter now represents something else, something brand new. Forgiveness. And the same is true for you and for me today. Failure does not have to define who we are. It doesn't have to have the final word. It doesn't have to end our life as we know it, much less your relationship with God. Because here's the thing through this story, and many like it in the Bible, we get a picture of a God who loves us that we can come to and say, Man, I blew it. I failed. I'm sorry. Just please forgive me. And Jesus says, you bet. And that's not all. God then offers you and I the chance to move from forgiveness to a new life, a new beginning. Just like he did with Peter. And I think that is pretty cool. And Peter. You can just and blank and put your name in there. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you've come in here, and as I've mentioned that, you've got something bubbling around in your head, and just like, I just can't get past this. Uh, We have a team, a prayer team at the back, willing to talk with you more about it. We have a hope team out in the lobby uh, with with professionals that would love to to talk with you and help you work through some of that. Uh, So please take advantage of that. But I'm so glad that you're here with us on this journey because that's what this is. This is a journey. We get to do it together. I invite you to pray with me. God, thank you for refusing to allow us to be defined by our failures. We thank you for the wisdom and experience and perseverance found only in our lowest points, because that's where we learn so much about ourselves and so much about you. And I just pray that you would open our eyes to the second chances that you offer, the third and the fourth and the fifth and the hundredth chances that you offer. Give us the courage and the humility to pick ourselves up and start again after we fall. We pray this in the grace of your name. Amen.